0: I've been a ranger for well over 30 years. At some point, they decided that they would take some of the workload off my feet and let me do most of my work at the visitor center, which is about a third of the way into the natural reserve. My body appreciates their consideration for the condition that I'm in, but my mental health doesn't. Keeping on the move and always on patrol was my way of coping with things. Working out of the visitor center gave me more time to think And that's not necessarily a healthy thing. Suffice to say, I'm divorced and my kids, well, they don't want to talk to me. All while I'm facing my twilight years all by myself. I'm not trying to draw attention here. Those will be necessary details in just a few short seconds. They forced me to take coffee breaks if I had to go too hard for too long. I was taking one such compulsory coffee break on one of the outdoor wooden park benches completely by my...self. People don't come to the park to look around the visitor center anymore. Besides the brochures of park information, the only thing the park has to offer is the same four or five fun facts, and they've been hanging out for a long time. In fact, everybody has seen them. Nobody wants to see them again. I was quickly yanked out of my thoughts when I heard a voice that I hadn't heard for over fifteen years, but recognized it instantly. It was the voice of my ex-wife, and she was calling my name. My brain was trying to come up with a rational explanation as to why I was hearing this, and then I heard my daughter's voice come out to me also, except she didn't sound like the 43-year-old woman that she had grown into. Instead, she sounded exactly the way she did when she was around 9 years old. I was anchored to the park bench for a while, terrified to move. Just in case I was having a heart attack or a stroke or experiencing something else that would mess with my mind. Perhaps I was dying. Perhaps this was a practical joke. But who could mimic those voices so well and know my name at the same time? I decided to try a more tactical approach. I would come towards the voices, but I wouldn't answer them. There were long pauses between each call, as if my wife and daughter were waiting for me to answer. But then they would call out again, and it was in those moments that I would pick up on the direction that they were coming from. Unless my ears were lying to me, it sounded like they were coming from the woods that came right up against the physical building of the visitor center. I stepped to the trees quietly, resting when there was silence and walking when I heard the voices. I approached the opening in the trees. They couldn't have been more than fourteen feet in diameter. It was also clustered by some low-growing shrubs. I remained hidden as best as possible. It didn't sound like the voices were coming from nearby. They were coming from that very small clearing. I didn't see how it could be possible. If my wife and daughter were there, they'd be visible clearly. Unless they were lying down on the shrubbery, so I stared for what felt like forever. But then a shape slowly rose out of the growth and it appeared to have two large block eyes that were proportionate to its head, the same way the eyes of a fly are proportionate to its head. Everything about it was just a little too long. The neck, the shoulders, the arms. It did not stand up to its full length, just high enough to get a good look around, before opening its mouth and speaking with both the voices of my wife and my daughter-in-one, calling out to me, asking where I was and what was taking so long. Then, without noticing me, it slowly sank back down. I could see its pale, ribbed back, bent over, and underneath the topmost of the leaves where it did its best to try and stay hidden. I took up my pistol and I shot as many times as I could before I realized that there was a problem. At least two good hits landed on its flesh before it sprang up and ran. I don't know if the other three or four shots hit. Miraculously, I was able to slip back into the center and not have to offer an explanation to anybody important. The older girl there, that works behind the front desk, asked if she had heard something dangerous and I just told her that I saw some kids setting off fireworks. My ex-wife may be many things, but somebody with the ability, let alone the intelligence, to send some strange, forced monster after me and lure me out with the sound of her voice isn't one of them. After that incident, I've kind of given into the urging of my superiors to spend more time in that area and less time tromping around outside. There are clearly more forces at work in this world that know more about me, and know me better than I know myself, and the less I have to tangle with them, the better. I apologize in advance for my story being so long, but I figured I would give you the unfiltered version. Thank you. This just happened last night. My boyfriend, our husky, and I embarked upon our long holiday road trip to see our families earlier today. Fourteen hours of this trip takes place on a major U.S. interstate highway. We were looking for places to make our last gas stop and found a place just off the highway. We pulled off and into the desolate gas station and immediately were greeted by a fairly large... Somewhat sketchy man taking not so subtle glances in our direction. We both were joking that maybe we chose the wrong gas station, and boy, did we. My boyfriend suggested that while he pumped the gas and run to the restroom, I take our dog and let him stretch his legs. Being a city girl, I know to always carry my mace and phone, especially at night. We diverged as I started to make my way towards the ill-lit side of the gas station and my boyfriend to the restroom. I made it not thirty feet from my car and was approached by a small Chihuahua mutt, with a collar, who happily greeted our husky. I looked around for an owner while the two dogs got to know one another and continued to walk to a patch of grass with our new follower in tow. My first instinct was to help the dog and find his owner, but in the back of my mind something felt very off, and to be honest it felt off since the moment we pulled in. I immediately called my boyfriend and told him I had found a dog and said, Hey, I found a dog, but something is weird. He immediately abandoned his bathroom break and came out to meet me. While I'm standing with our dog and this dog who came seemingly out of nowhere, I felt eyes on me from the employees working outside. My boyfriend expressed concern about the dog being loose so close to a major highway and further looked around for its possible owner. He approached one of the employees who was changing out trash liners right next to our car for some time now. He asked the employee if he had any idea whose dog this was. In perfect English, he replied, I don't speak English, and anxiously turned around to only continue to go through the motions of changing out a trash liner he had been standing at this whole time. He then continued to watch us chase around this dog until the dog led us behind the conscience store gas station. With my boyfriend five feet behind me, I followed the dog to the back of the store. Behind the store, ten or so big rigged trucks sat largely in darkness resting for the night. Cardboard boxes and broken wood pallets covered the dirt. A large man in a gas station uniform greeted me staring through a glass door. With my boyfriend out of view, I bent down to check the dog's tag as the man continued to stare. My boyfriend approached... And that's when the man behind the glass door's demeanor changed. Almost dejectedly, he opened the glass door. I quickly asked, Do you know whose dog this is? Nervously, he fumbled his words and replied, Yay, uh, uh, that's my, uh, dog. We both exhaled and exchanged a look as if to say, Something about that was really weird. We made our way back to the car and my boyfriend remembered he had to still use the bathroom, so I settled back into our locked car. When my boyfriend got back to the car, he told me the same man we talked to at the back of the store followed him to the bathroom and stood behind him watching. That's when we realized just how creepy and surreal the last 15 minutes have been. As we drove away, we discussed the strange and creepy series of events, how the whole thing felt staged or set up. Why did the employee act like he didn't know the dog when it belonged to his coworker? We immediately Googled the small town we had stopped in and discovered it has been a hot spot for human trafficking and in recent months, 60 people were arrested. Was this just a string of eerie coincidences or was there some more sinister going on here? It was an early Tuesday morning My friend and I were bow-hunting off the face of the rock quarry. We stopped to rest on a bench in the tall timber where we sat facing up the hill we had come down from earlier in the morning. We couldn't rest because we kept hearing a rustling sound up the hillside that kept our attention. Shortly thereafter, we thought we heard what sounded like girls talking on the 101-61 road directly above us. It first sounded like laughing that immediately turned into a blood-curdling sound that went to a soft laughter to a very high pitch that got louder and louder. My first thought was it sounded like a mother watching its young being killed. This sound got so loud and its direction now sounded like from multiple directions around us like something was joining in on the cry. By this time approximately 20 seconds has gone by and the sound has not stopped for one second. Not even to take a breath of air, my friend kept asking me what is it as I was staring up the hillside in amazement. He finally was so scared he grabbed my shirt and looked me in the eye and said, ''What is it?'' I replied, ''I don't know but it better not come after us.'' This sound started to wind down like an old World War II hand crank warning alarm and then dissipated into a soft sound, then to nothing.'' We estimated this sound carried for approximately 40 seconds, and like I said, it never stopped to take a breath. The northwestern part of Pennsylvania, particularly the areas surrounding the Allegheny National Forest, has a rich history of reports about UFOs, Bigfoot, and other inexplicable events. It was in this intriguing setting on July 8, 2017, that my partner and I had an encounter that left us both bewildered. That morning at around nine, I stepped out onto our deck, which overlooks the lush greenery of our country home nestled near the forest. What caught my eye was an unusually large moth, resting on a six-by-six vertical post. The moth, if I could even call it that, was approximately eleven inches long and about five inches wide at what I can only describe as the shoulders, Its shape was peculiar, somewhat reminiscent of an hourglass. Adding to its unusual appearance were two appendages at the top of its head antennas or pointed ears, perhaps each about an inch long. It seemed as though the creature's head was tucked into its body, as if it was resting. Based on its size, I guessed its wingspan would reach an impressive fifteen inches when fully spread out. Intrigued, I called my husband to witness this peculiar sight. I was taken aback by the creature's strange beauty, its wings shimmered with a pale green iridescence, while the middle part appeared to have a creamy, skin-like texture. My husband was equally amazed, expressing that he'd never seen anything like it before. We both agreed that it resembled a giant moth. We spent some time observing the seemingly slumbering creature. Eventually, I gathered the courage to touch it, finding its wings smooth, almost skin-like, But not feathery or fuzzy. The creature remained still, not reacting to my touch. I also noticed a lack of the powdery residue typically left behind after touching a moth's wings. Before we had to leave our home for a bit, I decided to fetch my camera to capture a picture of our unusual visitor. Standing about a foot away, I tried to power up my camera, but to no avail. Despite the camera having never given us trouble before, and even after replacing the batteries, it still refused to turn on. The next day, it worked perfectly fine again. On our way to the car, we spotted another similar creature, perched on the outer wall of our home about ten feet off the ground. When we returned home later, both creatures had vanished. We've since made a sketch of what we saw it shows the back of the creature's wings, and the red area behind it represents the six-by-six vertical post it was resting on. It's possibly just a coincidence that my camera malfunctioned when I tried to photograph this odd-winged creature. However, I've heard of cases where photographic equipment mysteriously fails when someone attempts to capture images of UFOs or other phenomena. More recently, similar incidents have been reported in connection with significant UFO encounters in our state. Other researchers involved in paranormal investigations have reported similar experiences as well. It was the summer of 1973 and I was 12 years old. My friends and I were enjoying the long, hot days by riding our bikes through the winding roads of Durham, exploring the woods and fields that surrounded our quiet town. Little did we know We were about to encounter something that would become a part of local legend, the Durham Gorilla. One sunny afternoon in late July, our group of five decided to take a ride down Shiloh Road, a quiet country road that cut through a dense forest. We had biked this route before, and we were excited to enjoy the thrill of the downhill ride and the cool shade of the trees. We set off, racing each other and laughing, without a care in the world. As we reached the halfway point of our journey, we rounded a bend and suddenly skidded to a halt. There, standing in the middle of the road, was a creature unlike anything we had ever seen before. It was about the size of a chimpanzee, covered in dark hair, and appeared to be just as surprised to see us as we were to see it. For a moment, time seemed to stand still. We stared at the creature, and it stared back at us, its eyes filled with curiosity and perhaps a hint of fear. I could feel my heart pounding in my chest as I tried to make sense of what I was seeing. Was this a wild animal that had escaped from a zoo or a private collection, or was it something else entirely? Before any of us could react, the creature let out a high-pitched shriek and disappeared into the underbrush, leaving us standing there, stunned and speechless. We looked at each other, unsure of what to do next. Should we report our sighting to the authorities? Would anyone even believe us? In the end, we decided to keep our encounter a secret, fearing that we would be ridiculed or accused of making up stories. But as the days and weeks passed, more and more people in Durham began reporting sightings of a similar creature, and the legend of the Durham gorilla was born. The sightings continued throughout August, sparking a frenzy of speculation and debate among the townspeople. Some believed that the creature was a Bigfoot, while others insisted it was simply an escaped chimpanzee. As for me, I never did find out the truth behind the Durham gorilla, but I will never forget that day on Shiloh Road the day my friends and I came face to face with the unknown. My name is Etube which in our Apache language means sun. I was named for the light and warmth I brought to my tribe, nestled deep within the verdant expanse of the Pacific Northwest. I was a boy of the woods, raised on the songs of the wind and the stories of the ancients. But the woods began whispering a different tale, one steeped in darkness and dread. It all started with a dream. In my dreams, I was pursued by a windigo, a mythical creature from the legends of tribes far to our east. The Wendigo was a symbol of gluttony and excess, a beast that fed on flesh and had an insatiable hunger. I would wake up drenched in sweat, the Wendigo's blood-curdling roar still ringing in my ears. Soon, reality began to mirror my nightmares. Hunters from our tribe ventured into the woods and never returned. Wild animals were found mutilated, their bodies grotesquely mangled. An eerie cry would echo through the night, chilling us to our bones. I tried to warn the tribe's elders, recounting my dreams and the strange happenings. But they dismissed me, attributing my fears to the overactive imagination of a boy. I knew I had to do something. I dove into our ancient tribal lore, reading every scroll, deciphering every symbol. I trained, strengthening my body and mind, learning the ways of the hunter, the wisdom of the tracker. I was determined to face the Wendigo and protect my people. One fateful night, under the light of the full moon, I ventured deep into the heart of the woods. I could feel the Wendigo's presence, a palpable dread that hung in the air. The showdown was brutal, a dance of death between a boy and a beast. But I had the strength of my ancestors, the love of my tribe, and the courage that could only come from knowing what was at stake. I fought the Windigo with every ounce of my being, using the knowledge and skills I had gained from our ancient tribal lore. The battle raged on for what seemed like hours. The Windigo's strength was immense, but I was relentless. I evaded its deadly claws and piercing fangs, striking back with my own fierce determination. With a final, desperate lunge, I drove my spear deep into the heart of the creature. As the wendigo fell, its body began to dissolve into the air, like mist vanishing in the sunlight. The creature's deathly cries faded into the night, leaving behind only silence and a profound sense of relief. The beast was defeated, and I had saved my Apache tribe. I returned to my people, bearing the tale of my victory. The elders finally listened, their eyes wide with awe and respect. They recognized the truth of my words and the strength of my spirit. I was no longer just Etchu, the boy named for the sun. I had become a warrior, a guardian of my tribe, and a living legend among my people. With the windigo gone, peace and harmony were restored to our tribe and the woods. The hunters returned to their task, wild animals roamed without fear, and the eerie cries that once haunted the night were silenced forever. We could finally live in peace, safe in the knowledge that the Wendigo had been vanquished and that our tribe was protected by one of its own. I'm Dr. James Reed, an anthropologist with an insatiable curiosity about the rich tapestry of human culture. One day, my thirst for knowledge led me to the isolated lands of a Native American tribe nestled in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. I was there to learn to observe their unique culture and unravel their folklore. As I immersed myself in their world, I heard whispers of a guardian spirit, a creature resembling the legendary Bigfoot. This creature, they believed, was a protector of their lands, a revered figure in their folklore. I listened with intrigue fascinated by the tribe's profound connection with nature. Before long, a mining company began prospecting in the nearby hills, their heavy machinery sending tremors through the quiet mountain range. As the machines crept closer to the sacred lands, the guardian spirits started manifesting in inexplicable, terrifying ways. The machines were destroyed, miners scared away by the sight of the massive creature. The tribe was convinced... It was their guardian spirit defending the sacred lands. But I was torn, caught between my rational scientific beliefs and the mystical world the tribe lived in. The mining company was relentless and the tribe's way of life was under threat. The peaceful harmony of the tribe was being replaced with fear and unrest. I knew I had to do something. Setting aside my skepticism, I decided to join forces with the tribe. We researched old tribal legends, sought the counsel of the Elders, and ventured deep into the sacred groves. The more I delved into the tribe's spiritual world, the more I began to question my own rigid beliefs. In the end, it was a battle not just for the tribe's sacred land, but also for their way of life. We managed to convince the mining company to stop their operations, but not without a few close encounters with the guardian spirit encounters that I still struggle to explain rationally. I left the Appalachian Mountains with more questions than answers. The experience had forever blurred the lines between my scientific pursuits and the mystical world of the tribe. But one thing was clear, there were forces at work far beyond our understanding, forces that demanded respect and reverence. And sometimes, protecting what's sacred required more than just logic and reason. It was the summer of June 2013, and the high temperatures were not helping farmers. Even though it wasn't a dry year in the state, a few weeks had been a little hotter than usual. I lived in Altamont, Missouri. When some of us would go water the plants at night, we noticed the strange sounds. I got a phone call from my son at two in the morning. He was very agitated. I figured something was very wrong. For two weeks, the family had been living in a state of stress and insomnia. Every other night, we'd drive to their land to water their cornfield. There were noises that we had never heard before. See, we didn't know what it was. We know there are animals out here, we know that. But this sound gave me goosebumps. It goes like a tapping sound as if somebody was chattering their teeth, only much more faster and louder, then silence, then shrieking. These aren't coyotes or wolves or anything like that. I saw something, and that is not from this land, that I'm sure. It was there standing before me as I pointed the flashlight at it. It was darn big. Then a sudden movement, fast as heck, and it was gone. I can only describe it as an eight-foot-tall-winged creature with a long muzzle that resembled the face of an alligator. The animal was featherless and its skin was gray, with a wingspan of over 80 feet that looked like the wings of a bat. The almond-shaped eyes appeared red under the stream of light pointing at them, a known characteristic of certain rodents, opossums, and birds. The only creature that I can reference it to is a pterodactyl. Even though I know that sounds crazy. Have you heard of other similar sightings in this area? I truly believe I was abducted by aliens a couple of months ago. My dreams of my house were too vivid to be dreams. Something happened. I remember standing at the patio door looking up. The ship was huge with two, three, or four big lights. I remember a red and white light. I knew I was looking at the back, but instead of seeing my backyard, there was a field with two cars. I think the one closest to me was a red convertible with the top down. There was a woman leaning against the car. I think she had dark curly hair, darker than mine and softer curls. I think one or two men were sitting in the car drinking. These details are too vivid and too memorable to be a dream. The ship was a very strong material, gunmetal gray in color. From what I saw, the house blocked the rest of the ship. I was looking up. The clincher is that I was jolted awake in bed. I turned over and the clock read 5.26am. I felt like I had just gotten in bed and I was exhausted. I didn't want to have to get up and go to work. I turned on to my left side and my first thought was that I'd need to get checked out for any implants. I tried to find something on the internet to tell my story, but didn't find anything in that short time. I told my best friend last night, and she doesn't think I'm crazy. When I wrote it, I wrote things going on in my life before and after. There was no break. Also, I remember when I wrote this how calm I became. To clarify how I saw the ship I have two sliding glass doors going outside. I have to open both of them. I remember seeing everything in the den as it is right now, not like a dream where everything is distorted or made up, and I was standing in the house at the first door, with both open in my, probably, nightgown that night. I was looking up, and if I had stepped out and jumped up, I could have touched the ship it was that close. I have metal awnings, but that night, it was like they were gone. Because the ship was so close, and the view I had, that's why I could only see the back. It was like I was being dropped off. I didn't feel strange or funny or have any weird things. Supernatural things do happen to me at night, but as long as I pray, it helps. I now wear a Saint Michael the Archangel medal that was blessed by the Pope and pray to him each night also, and that has helped tremendously. To clarify being exhausted... Have you ever gone out one night and partied and got drunk not too drunk, but enough to know you're drunk and you came in at 4 or 5 or 6am? Then you throw yourself in bed and you're asleep before you've stopped moving. That's what I felt like. I had gone to bed the night before, as usual, but when I was jolted awake, I looked at the clock C above and literally felt like I had been dropped into my bed and that I had not gotten any sleep. My best friend is the only one I told about this because I'm too scared to talk to anyone else. Maybe I watch too many TV shows and movies, but I have not spoken to anyone about this. I've thought long and hard and I wanted to report this, but I don't want anything bad to happen to me. It was a hot summer day, and I decided to go for a hike on a trail I had heard about from some friends. They had mentioned that it was common for people to skinny dip at the end of the hike, and the idea of taking a refreshing dip in the cool stream sounded like the perfect way to unwind after a long hike. As I walked along the trail, I saw a few people sunbathing in the distance. Wanting some privacy, I decided to head upstream to find a more secluded spot. As I continued along the path, I noticed a lone man on the trail. I politely stepped off to let him pass, assuming he would continue on his way. I finally found a quiet alcove where I felt comfortable enough to strip down and enjoy the cool water. I quickly undressed and submerged myself, feeling the refreshing sensation of the water against my skin. Just as I started to relax, I felt a sudden sense of unease. To my horror, the man from the trail reappeared, standing only a foot behind me, completely naked. He attempted to strike up a conversation, but my instincts were screaming at me that I was in danger. I muttered a response and quickly scrambled out of the water to get dressed. Adrenaline pumping through my veins, I began the three-mile hike back to my car at a rapid pace. With no self-service in the area, I knew I had to rely on my own instincts to keep myself safe. Every rustle in the bushes, every snapping twig sent shivers down my spine as I hurried along the trail, praying that I would make it back to my car without incident. When I finally reached my car, I breathed a sigh of relief, grateful to have escaped the situation unharmed. From that day on, I vowed never to hike alone again, always opting for the company of friends on my outdoor adventures. The memory of that terrifying encounter serves as a constant reminder to trust my instincts, and always prioritize my safety. I had always loved the peace and tranquility of living on my five-acre property, surrounded by cow fields on all sides. My dogs were my only companions, and we had developed our own little routines, including singing silly songs together. One of the songs I often sang was the nursery rhyme, Daisy Daisy. It had become something of a tradition for me to sing this song to my pups as they wandered around our home, mostly indoors since they were indoor dogs. On a crisp fall evening, I found myself alone in the house with the windows wide open, enjoying the cool breeze that swept through. As I hummed the familiar tune of Daisy, Daisy to myself, I suddenly heard something that made my blood run cold. A faint, low whistle echoed through the air. Mimicking the tune of Daisy, Daisy with eerie precision. The whistling was slow and deliberate, as if someone or something was taunting me. At the end of the verse, the whistling ceased, leaving an unsettling silence in its wake. Fear gripped my heart, and I couldn't bring myself to look outside to investigate the source of the haunting sound. I closed the windows, my heart pounding in my chest and tried to shake off the unsettling feeling that had settled over me. To this day, I still don't know what caused that chilling whistle. The memory of that eerie night remains with me, a constant reminder that sometimes the unknown can be far more terrifying than anything we can imagine. I've woken up a few times in the middle of the night for no reason with my heart racing. There's no feeling of dread, though. Prior to this, I was being woken up by something actually making noises to wake me up. The first time was when I was sleeping, and I started hearing something tapping on my metal bed frame. I woke up but hadn't opened my eyes or moved yet, and I heard what sounded like a coin or something metal tapping my bed frame on what I think was the leg closest to my head to the left of the bed. It went something like tap-tap, tap-tap-tap, Pause, tap, 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 tap. It was definitely not rhythmic and like it was intentional. Something was trying to wake me up. I sat up in bed and it stopped. Another night I heard something tapping on my glass vanity table. Like it picked something up from my table and started tapping. As soon as I moved it stopped. This was actually my childhood home that I moved back into with my family and my parents moved to the house next door. It was never haunted as a child. I had just moved into this house from a house next door that my parents owned, and that house was haunted. Did it follow me to the house next door? I don't know. But one night after the fifth time of waking up for no reason and my heart racing, I did something this might sound odd, but this is what I experienced. I don't know why I did this, but I imagined I had a bright, white light of protection in my center that grew around me. I imagined it getting bigger and bigger and pushing anything entity... away. I think I made this protection field expand and encompass my house. When I did this, I felt such peace. The feeling I felt was indescribable. I felt light, warm, peaceful, not scared, and drifted off to sleep in a couple minutes, whereas before when I would wake up like this, it would take me hours to calm down and go back to sleep. If somebody would have told me this story of the protective white light, I would most likely be skeptical because I've never heard of it. I googled protective white light, and it's actually a thing. I don't know what made me do that, but it helped. By the way, this is just a small portion of what's happened to me. When I lived in the other house, a whole lot of stuff happened. I have a chilling story to tell you. It all starts back in the 1986 or 1987 Pennsylvania bow season. I've been after a big buck all season, maybe a 185-190 class buck. Walking the creek bottom for some time in the hemlocks, and it was getting dark in them, so I made it to a clearing about half a mile. I saw a few deer and a couple small bucks, not what I was looking for. I was walking back to my truck, next to a farm, and I had a feeling that something wasn't right, so I turned around and I thought, there's a bear there about eight yards from me. I was standing along a cornfield, and it was in the cut oats field I had the wind in my face. That's when I knew something was in the field. The animal stood up and started to walk toward me. It was about 35 or 40 yards from me now. I said out loud, do not make me use this bow. It stopped, turned around and walked away from me. It looked like a large logger and it walked in the cut oats field, then in the tall field of corn. I did not let the grass grow under my feet. The next day I went back to the spot where he was in the cutouts. I could not walk in the tracks and where it enters the core was nine feet tall, so that made him eight feet tall and smaller than the corn. P.S. When I got home... My wife said I was white as a cloud and my eyes were as big as a plate. I am from Waterville, Maine. Back in the late summer or early fall of 1971, I was newly married and living in Killeen, Texas with my husband who was in the US Army. We had a small duplex apartment in Killeen. One night he had duty, and I was home alone in bed around 3 a.m. in the morning. I woke up suddenly and saw a black figure standing at the bottom of my bed. It was eight or nine feet tall and had huge, big black wings and red eyes. I closed my eyes and opened them again, and it had moved closer to me on the right side of my bed. I couldn't scream. It was as if I was frozen in fear. I covered my head in the blankets. I was so afraid. About five minutes later, I looked, and it was gone. It gave me a horrible feeling, and I prayed never to see it again. Shortly after this event, I came back to Maine as I was way too frightened to ever stay alone at night when he was on duty. I told my mom I had seen a huge black angel that night, and she was glad I came home as that didn't sound good, I had never heard of the Mothman, but a few years later I came across an article and a drawing of one. Even before I read the article, I said, wow, that is exactly what I saw in Texas. It didn't have a noticeable neck, and its face was hooded, its wings tucked in on its side, but you could tell they were very large. It was totally black, except the eyes were round, large, and red. I still think of this thing with fear. Personally, do you have any idea what it is? I'm 57 now, and I am still searching for an answer. P.S. The apartment I lived in had a well in the entranceway that always gave me the creeps. A cistern, I believe it is called. Just a flat rock covered it, and it still had water in it. I couldn't see the water, but I heard the plop when I dropped a rock in it. This probably has nothing to do with any of this, but felt I should tell you anyways. A bad storm had just passed through Burlington County when Officer Adge Quinn spotted something hovering over Route 130, which runs between Burlington and Bordentown. On June 20th at approximately 6:40 p.m., I was traveling on Route 563 south of Chatsworth, near the Franklin Parker Reserve Speedwell entrance. I was looking to see what the parking situation there was for future hikes, so my eyes were on the right side of the road. Out of the periphery, I saw what I thought was a groundhog on the left. At least it looked like it. It was very large. I realized it would have been huge for one to be like that. So the size I saw was roughly four feet tall, standing on two legs. It reminded me physically of a groundhog. I did not get a good look at the face and I almost continued, but decided to turn around about 150 yards up on a dirt road to the right. I pulled in, turned around, and headed back to that location. There is a bend in the road there. It bends around to the right and on the way back. As I made it past the bend, approximately 30 yards in front of me, the creature was still there. It was now fully turned towards me. I could see that it looked like a cross between Curious George and the character Chaka from The Land of the Lost. Its face and hands, as well as the tops of its feet were hairless and light tan in color. The fur it was covered with was golden brown, a little darker than a golden retriever, very much like the color of a groundhog. I could not see the nose. When I locked eyes with it, I could see just the whites. I stood there for a second or two when I rounded the bend, and then it took off, passing back into the swampy area. It ducked behind a short bush when I drove past it. I could no longer see it, I turned the car around yet again, and when I went by a second time, it was gone. I waited there a bit to see if I could see anything moving in the field. I couldn't, so I considered it done and took off. It was a couple of days before I shared the experience with my family and friends. In that period of time, I thought for sure somebody was going to report a missing kid in a Halloween costume. When the thing took off running, it was fast. I would describe it as the fastest kid on the 10-12 baseball team. We had really bad storms that night, and my commute was a disaster. It poured all through that area, and I thought it was odd that the thing I saw appeared to be dry, at least its fur was, which would lead me to believe it was under some sort of covering or underground. Of course, there are always skeptics out there suggesting this type of ferocious cryptid, is just some innocent child dressed up in a puffy halloween costume on hallows eve but why would it be out there of all places or maybe officer a j quinn simply mistook an actual groundhog for something bipedal unfortunately for those skeptics and doubters a j quinn is a legitimate officer who was on duty at the time of the sighting and has never been known to mislead over the years, there have been reports of other sightings in this area of Bordentown, New Jersey, where the creature is said to dwell. So, this guy had been abused as a child by his uncle. When he started talking about him sober, his face would scrunch up. He would talk through his teeth like hissing-like, spitting as he talked. He would only do this sober... When he was high, he didn't care anymore. That was the point of the drugs. One night, we were having a hard time getting drugs. We hadn't had any since the day before, so quite sober for the two of us. This is the guy who threw me through a closet door just a few weeks prior. He was violent, yelled, name called. He hurt me a few times pretty good. But I was really messed up back then. It had already gotten to the point where I knew the end was near. It was time for me to get my life together, and certainly time for me to get away from that a whole. I was standing on the edge of the cliff just about to jump, then that night when he realized no one had any dope and he wasn't going to get any he started talking about his uncle. We were sitting in the bed facing the TV at the foot of the bed, so I was turning my head to the right looking at him as he talked. It started calm and quickly escalated into the spitting angry talk. He started hitting the bed in front of him with his fist as he raged, and I was terrified to look at him. I stared forward for what seemed like forever. Then, for whatever reason, I turned to look at him, and I saw exactly as you described. It was like a face over a face, or a face behind a face, and it wasn't human, and it wasn't good. I can't put into words the terror. It consumed my whole body. I've never felt that level of fear and I hope I never do again. I jumped up from that bed and ran. I had a bicycle sitting outside on the porch. I grabbed that friggin' bike and mounted it in the front yard and pedaled into the street. I could hear him busting through the front door and his footsteps as he started running after me. He yelled at me, I swear to God I'm going to beat the F out of you when I catch you. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And he growled as he ran after me. There was that moment when I didn't have the bike going fast yet and was still accelerating, and he almost caught up. Then I reached speed and left him behind. I was praying that my bike chain held on. It liked to fall off if I tried to accelerate too fast. Somehow it didn't fail me. I made arrangements for inpatient rehab that weekend. They had a bed open up the following Monday, and I've been sober ever since. That was May of 2006. I've told the devil face story many times since then. I know what I saw. It was pure evil, and I don't need any more convincing that evil can possess people. He definitely was. I probably was too. The devil loves chaos. And despair, fear, anger, violence, you get the picture. I choose today to distance myself from anything that resembles any of that. Thanks for the reminder. I haven't thought about him for a while. I need to be reminded. The devil is real, and I have a choice where I want to go. If I follow the rules, I get the good stuff, and if I don't well, I've seen a glimpse of it, and no thank you.